0: This episode is sponsored by Boomi. If you're anything like us and you care about conscious consumerism, you'll love the range of products that Boomi has on offer. Not only are all their products ethically made in fair trade certified factories, but they also only use premium organic cotton, which means no harmful pesticides, no toxic dyes, and there's no child or exploitative labor involved. The new sustainable luxury towels and robes create the atmosphere of having your very own spa oasis. They're absorbent and super soft, making you feel like you're wrapped up in a cosy cloud. Who needs a luxury hotel or a day spa when you can have that in the comfort of your own home every day? We have a special offer for our listeners, giving you 25% off. Yes, that's 25% off storewide using the discount code MINIMALISTVEGAN at checkout. T's and C's apply. To learn more about Boomi and their full range, visit that's Bhumi.com.au. That's B H U M I.com.au. Now on to the show.
1: Welcome to episode 66 of the Minimalist Vegan Podcast, a place where we explore what it means to live with less stuff and more compassion. Hello, my name is Michael and I'm joined by my beautiful wife, Marsha.
0: Oh, hello.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about the nuances, the grey areas, the areas of contention in the wool industry as it relates to veganism and cruelty and What the heck we can do what what should we be doing as consumers what's going to be the best choice so this is a juicy topic it's going to be a long one so we'll try and keep some the pace going along but we don't want to miss out on any key details so please stay tuned and we look forward to hearing your feedback on on the show Um, but before we get into it we wanted to circle back with a, a giveaway we're running this month so in the last episode we talked about how we'll be giving away a free copy of our book the Minimalist Vegan, a simple manifesto on how to live with less stuff and more compassion. It could be digital or print copy. And all you have to do to enter to win a copy of our book is to leave a review of our podcast on the preferred platform that you use. Take a screenshot before you submit it and just email it to us over at info at the Really simple to enter. Just leave a review, take a screenshot and forward your email over to us and we'll leave the details in the little description box in the podcast app so you know exactly what to do.
0: And why shouldn't people leave a review, Michael? <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, it just lets <laughs> us know you're out there. <laughs> um, Lots
0: of messages yeah. on Instagram and emails and privately, but it's also nice to kind of share that information and help others decide whether or not they want to commit to listening to our podcast. Because we don't want to be, well, there's so many things that can be grabbing your attention out there these days that I think it does help people decide whether or not they want to tune in by seeing what others think of the podcast. So it helps us and it helps others. And you know, it's always nice to receive little love notes. So yeah, yeah, feel free to share them with us.
1: Thank you. Okay. so we just get into it?
0: Yeah. Let's, because as you mentioned, it's going to be a long one. So let's not beat around the bush, okay? As they say, and uh, let's get into it.
1: No, we will not be beating any bushes here. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't even know what that means.
0: <laughs> beat around, like don't don't procrastinate or don't take your time with it. Just get on with it.
1: No, I know that, but I don't know what the term uh, "beat around" well. The there's bush. a
0: lot of things that make. Absolutely yeah innocence. I'll never pause to actually so. think
1: about the same, but anyway, yeah. there you go.
0: And a lot of them, you know, that you now pause to think about them is because they involve animals yeah. or they <laughs> you know, they're not so vegan friendly. Yes. So yeah. Killed or two, two, two birds, birds with, with one stone. stone. Yeah. There's there's quite a few yeah. of them. So it's just terminology that you try not to use, but beat around the bush. I mean, who knows what's in the bush, so maybe don't beat the bush. Yes. <laughs> 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 um, so We know that wool is obviously not vegan, but is it? Like, why is the use of wool not vegan?
1: Yeah, and it's like, you know, why are we talking about this? Because one train of thought is that, well, wool comes from an animal, therefore it's an animal product, and it's vegan. End Mm. of conversation.
0: But... There's a lot of people that probably think, but they need... Absolutely, Shearing, you know? and, and
1: there's definitely truth to that. Yeah, You know, what's the big deal? What's, we're not causing that much harm to... We're not causing any harm to sheep to um, obtain this wool that needs to be shorn anyway. So, like, vegans calm down. Mm. Like, you can use wool. We've used it for a long time. So, let's just move on. So, we've got two trains of thought here. And as we go through each area of contention, you'll just see how sticky it gets you know to determine what is truly ethical when it comes to wool supply so that's why we want to discuss it because frankly we think it's interesting and and i think it really challenges us to to think about supply chains and our consumer choices and and let's talk about cheap for a bit too
0: Hmm. so before we get into like all of the nitty-grittiness in some ways and i think it's important to kind of understand the history behind it and why, why they need to be shorn? Sure. Like, where where did that sort of come from? Because it wasn't always that they needed to be, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, wild sheep exist today. Um, I've never seen one. I don't know if you have, but they historically mountainous animals, and like goats, like goats, correct? And the male sheep are called rams, and the females are ewes, and the young sheep, which are under the age of about 12 months old, are referred to as lambs, and together they create a flock, which we've all come to know. Now, sheep are covered by a thick coat of hair to protect them from the cold, in in cold conditions. Mm. And uh, their hair would usually grow in autumn or fall for our American audience, and would shed in spring and the warmer seasons. And only 2% of the, the global sheep population are wild. Okay. right so the remaining 98% are domesticated and we've been domesticating sheep since around 11,000 to 9,000 BC approximately and they're one of the first animals that humans have ever tamed second only to dogs so
0: so when you say domesticated that's like when we started using them for for meat and wool and milk
1: correct that's right so Yeah, so we we started domesticating them through an early profession of shepherding for those accumulating those resources you referred to. And the whole idea of shepherding was to protect the flock to be able to obtain the wool and the meat and and the milk as well. And, um, and, of course, when we talk about wool specifically or, or the fleece, you know, which is the coat of the sheep, we obviously use that to keep us warm. It's one of the most effective fabrics, mm-hmm. natural fabrics you can find for that purpose. So and that's what really drove shepherding initially. However, that's, uh, that's what it once was like and wool production has evolved to what we know today as full-blown commercial practices with varying degrees of cruelty and varying degrees of a scale to produce wool and of course there's always going to be two sides here and you know you've got some really industrialized inconsiderate methods of obtaining wool and then you've got the more indie small-scale caring practices that are mixed into that but that's where we are today so you might have you know, there's even some neighbours around here where we live that have a couple of sheep in their backyard, you know, like it can be as small as that or can be very, very big and large scale with flocks upon flocks.
0: So, it's kind of like comparing factory farming versus like your organic farmer that yes. lives on a lot of land with very few animals. Yes. Yeah. And with with every industry, you're going to get your good and your bad and this obviously is no exception. And as you mentioned, like as we domesticated sheep over time, we've done some things to them to make them dependent on us, Mm. just like we have with dogs, just like we have with lots of other animals that they can't really survive out in the wild. And so my question is like, do sheep need to be shorn?
1: With 98% of sheep being domesticated, Over time, we have designed them to be shorn because, you know, the goal is to produce as much wool as possible. So uh, this could be a combination of genetic modification or a combination of repeatedly cutting down their hair over time. It's not too dissimilar to, like, our dog, Chewy. So he's been bred uh, a specific uh, breed of poodle and cavalier together to ensure that he doesn't shed so his fur will grow and then every couple of months we'll need to take him down to the groomer so it's a similar type of concept there except that you know his his furs not being converted into a marketable fabric in fashion or in other use cases so a oh, pri- you
0: never know who knows what the groom is doing i don't we don't
1: know the back end uh, or what they're doing there so that's that's a good point but a prime case study would be i don't know why they're named shrek one or shrek two but shrek one it's
0: got nothing to do with shrek
1: yeah right in new zealand a male ram escapes its flock ran away broke free and wasn't and they named him Shrek One, but wasn't found again for another six years. When they found Shrek, he his fleece had completely ballooned out like you wouldn't believe. And to the point where he had so much excess wool that it weighed about 27 kilos in weight and just wool which is just over 60 pounds and there's a similar case study that happened at a similar time in new south wales here in australia rightly named shrek 2 to carry on that tradition who escapes from a similar time period five to six years rediscovered again and had 30 kilos of wool on his body which is again you know around 65 pounds of wool can you imagine carrying that much weight so it just goes to show that without cutting the the wool back down Mm. um, it's just going to continue to grow and weigh down the sheep so they are 100% dependent on us to to actually cut that back down for them to live a quality of life
0: And it's interesting because it's funny you bring that up because I had an old work colleague of mine quite a few years ago that was telling me that she found a sheep on one of her walks that just looked like it was very neglected and had a lot of wool on on its body. And that sheep was named Chris and he was actually... Ah, uh, he ended up thankfully at a animal sanctuary in near Canberra or New South Wales where we used to live. And um his fleece came in in a world record, I think was about forty one kilos. And it was just like the amount, and considering that Australia can get really hot summers and you know in that area as well, everyone was surprised that he managed to survive. Mm. And his wool is actually, I don't know if it still is, but at the time ended up at the National Museum of Australia wow. as a world record and just to show like how much wool can grow on one sheep in... It was a five-year period. Five years. From when he okay. um, ran away or, you know, was was missing to... Well, I think that they probably in some situations maybe they don't realise where they've come from and just estimate based on how much shearing should have been done in that period and how much growth happens Mm. for a normal sheep to when they were discovered. So yeah they
1: they didn't name this one Shrek 3, did they?
0: No they called him Chris. Oh Chris, he (laughs) said that before. And sadly he passed away last year at the age of ten. So but you know he definitely lived a much longer life than most other other sheep get to. So he was he was very lucky and obviously very resilient in many ways. So yeah.
1: What character? Chris. Yeah. Mm.
0: So, like, I see all the time, especially in fashion, like, most of us, when we think about wool, we think about fashion, we think about comfort, we think about warmth. So, like, and you can't go anywhere really without, especially during the winter months, you can't go and um, look for something like a nice jumper or a jack. Well, mainly jumpers that don't contain wool. Like, it's a really difficult thing to find. So, when you step out of it, you don't actually realize, like, how big is the wool industry?
1: Yeah, it's quite large. We're talking about a $2.2 billion annual turnover globally. So, it's, you know, billions of dollars have been pumped into this industry. And according to the International Wool Textile Organization, there's, there's approximately 1.1 billion domestic sheep in the world as well. So yeah, it's it's quite a, a large volume of sheep and, and wool being moved around the economy and and Australia is the largest producer at 25% of of supply and China is the largest importer. So there's a lot there's a bit of money to be made there, mm. you know, in terms of when you're talking about a an animal product.
0: Mm. And I guess now that we've kind of gotten you know a bit of history a bit of understanding of how big the industry is like let's get into how what the process is so like how does a shepherd remove the wolf from the sheep and like what's the process there of the sheep being shorn?
1: sure so sheep is shorn using a mechanical shear known as a handpiece so think of these as larger large clippers similar to what I would use to shave my head or what you would find at a barber or what you would again what you'd say at a dog grooming business but it's, they're not
0: normally like portable they're normally attached to like electricity so that they don't obviously have to charge and stuff correct yeah.
1: that's right and and they are quite a bit bigger mm. than mm. you know your human clippers or your dog clippers as well you well.
0: probably need like cuz it's a lot more thickness that you need to get under for sure to kind of yeah do the absolutely. job absolutely mm.
1: yeah and as you can imagine there's going to be varying degrees of treatment when sheep are actually shorn so skilled shearers take the time and methodically make sure that they remove all the wool with care and 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 make sure that the sheep are looked after Okay, because, you know, like even when I've I I don't live on a farm or anything like that, but certainly the times I've interacted with sheep, I find that there tends to be a level of skepticism already. So um, there could be some high level of anxiety. And I mean, if if you think about it, some children get scared going to the barber or getting their hair done. Our dog gets scared before Mm. he gets groomed. As
0: soon as he sees that we're pulling out where we're pulling up, he starts like almost crying because he just doesn't want to go in. But it needs to be done. So, like, in some ways you look at that and you think, well, isn't that cruel to him? But it's like, well, unfortunately, that's just where he's at. You know, like, as we mentioned before, you domesticated the sheep and you domesticated the dogs as well. And he's bred so that he doesn't shed because it's more allergy friendly and... The family that had him before us got him because the daughter was had a lot of allergies. So, it's just interesting to see like why a lot of different animals are bred into existence.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, on the other side of the spectrum, there's, you know, okay. So, one approach is to take their time, groom the sheep. And then the other side of the spectrum is going to be a highly cruel method of removing the wool, and Not to say that it's black and white. There's going to be a sliding scale of approaches in that. But one example is as the sheep naturally resist being shorn, and then some shearers are known to aggressively pin down the sheep to prevent them from moving around, causing them pain and trauma. Pain they're and dislocating trauma
0: dislocating if they're pushing them down quite yeah, if hard. Yeah, they push they them hard can enough. Dislocate joints and stuff.
1: Absolutely. And when sheep resist, footage has been captured of shearers hitting and stomping on the heads of sheep to keep them still. So, you've just got some pretty malice and aggressive shearers that have been captured on footage. So, you're going to get those type of people in any industry, unfortunately. Again,
0: it's like comparing factory farming versus your more local farmer that cares about their animals.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, And then another example is that shearers are generally paid by the weight of wool produced, not by the hour. So, everything is, is about productivity, about their output. So, the goal of shearing school, yes, there's such a thing, is to get shearers to shear 100 sheep in a day. Some can do 400 in a day. That's insane. Yeah, it's absolute madness. So, the, the guys that can do 400 in a day are called gun shearers. So, you know, they've even got a title and a bit of reputation in their craft. So, the combination of the internal like targets, I suppose, like the you know, what these sheds are, are measuring success by, promote careless practices because these shears are just trying to get through the sheep as quickly as possible, almost at all costs. So such speed often means harming the sheep, as you can imagine, nicking the ears, tails, and taking out chunks of their skin accidentally as well. And another example is when wounds are created through the shearing process through being a bit reckless and some sheds are known to just patch up the wounds themselves without any anesthetics again i'm not saying that this is the industry standard there are just examples of that as well so the the challenge is when you look at these different approaches to shearing is that there is no uh, well little to no transparency at the point of purchase to know what type of conditions or how these sheep have been shorn, and in which way for you to make an informed decision as to, and to how that works.
0: Yeah, but I think that there is also now with the way that the world is going, I think a lot of people are starting to seek more transparency. So even the other day when we were in, which is very rare, that we end up in a department store. We were just having a browse around and I noticed that there was a sign saying traceable wool. Which I think I didn't get a proper, I, I don't know why actually considering that I knew that we were talking about this. But all of the, the knits that were on the table, you could apparently trace back to where the wool came from. So I think that they're trying to create a bit more transparency because there's probably more people that are asking questions. You know, makes them feel good about supporting a brand that actually cares Potentially, I don't know where that that will comes from, but it's interesting to see that that's what's where you know yeah. in the direction that it's heading. So there's definitely more happening out there that we're aware of, probably. But considering that we don't really do much shopping for us, it's a rarity that we will come across those things. Yeah, eventually. and
1: it, and and it's rare that not only are we shopping, but we'll be looking at wool products wool, yeah yeah so but but that's really nice to see that they're taking a positive step in the right direction obviously e- even then even if you know which shed it's coming from it's going to be unless you see it really it's going to be hard to prove because there's no certifications to as far as i'm aware the listener if you do if you are aware of any certifications that you can feel a bit more confident around or that exist in your local market would love to know but From what we understand, it's like, yeah, like you can trace it back to a shed, but then you also need to do a bit of research on on the shed and and how they operate.
0: So speaking of that, how like how often a sheep actually like you mentioned that they're probably shorn more than and for the production and stuff, they're shorn more frequently. But how like how does that work and when are they actually shorn?
1: We'll focus on the Australian market because that's the largest market and, and the seasons here. And I should also mention that we've got an article on this as well. Oh, yeah. And so just a you, side note. <laughs> if you want to give that a read, we'll we'll be sure to link to it in the show notes, which would be at theminimalistvegan.com slash 066.
0: Or you could just type in theminimalistvegan.com forward slash is dash wool dash vegan. Yep. There you go. There's another way of Done. doing it.
1: But, yeah, so in, in terms of the Australian market, it's... Common practice, well, it was once common practice to shear sheep annually. So once a year, uh, just before spring to cater for the hot Australian summer, which makes sense.
0: And probably just before they have babies. Yes. Mm.
1: But wool brokers are pushing, well, have pushed and successfully pushed for six to eight months. Shearing cycle.
0: What's a wool
1: broker? So, a wool broker are basically the third party that puts deals together between the farmers and the sheds mm-hmm. and suppliers.
0: Oh, right. So, it's kind of like the middleman, like a wholesaler in some ways. Yeah. Getting wool onto the market. That's right. Okay.
1: So, you know, for them, it's about volume. Yeah. yeah. So, so they'll push in for a six to eight month shearing cycle to maximize profits. More frequent shearing cycles increase fertility to ewes, so that increases lambing and higher rates of twins as a result of more frequent shearing cycles. This helps to breed more lambs for uh, meat and more adults for wool. So this combination equals more revenue, really.
0: And it's, it's interesting, when I was doing some research earlier today, I came across, because I follow a few different animal sanctuaries, and there's this one close to where we used to live called Little Oak Sanctuary that has been sharing some interesting information on sheep and the industry at large in Australia. And it's actually good way to get information directly from people that are seeing it firsthand. And um, now that you're mentioning the whole multiple births and all of that, I just want to share a little snippet that they recently shared. They shared a photo of a little lamb that had recently come into their care and they were talking about how this lamb lost the mum. The mum was pregnant with triplets. They lost the mum after she gave birth and the last lamb that was born After this one, also passed away. So let me read this quote. So in an effort to boost profitability, the sheep industry in Australia is moving towards increasing the amount of multiple births. Whilst twins and triplets are already not uncommon, which is what you just mentioned, new genetic manipulation is seeing some sheep give birth to up to a staggering six lambs. Mother sheep are being pushed well beyond their limits and the mortality rate from the smaller lambs born into freezing temperatures is even higher than 25% mortality rate that already exists for lambs. So it's interesting to see how they are you know trying to manipulate nature to be able to produce more lambs to get you know whether it's for meat whether it's for the wool I imagine it's mainly for the wool that they're talking about but you know lamb meat is a is a big industry in itself as well especially here in Australia so I just wanted to add that in. Yep. There will be another quote that I'll share from them a little bit later on, but that was one that I found quite interesting that different ways that they're trying to increase their profit margins, but yet they're actually losing a lot in the process as yeah. well. So, I don't know how it adds up, to be honest. Yeah. But, yeah.
1: yeah. And I suppose it just comes down to the value of each, like, you know, lamb, wool, Milk, you know what i mean like and how those numbers all add up between the different types of sheep but yeah that's really eye-opening it's mm. um it's quite sad that you know going to such lengths to increase production but that's the nature of farming and that's the nature of animal agriculture but yeah so i think to to go back to the the, the shearing cycles chris Clonan from Alfoxton foxton merino's shed here in australia switched to an eight-month shearing program So now in february which is summer October, spring, and June, which is winter. So I think they alternate these cycles to make sure that it's eight months at a time. And as you just mentioned, I mean, you know, sometimes we're birthing lambs into cool, harsh conditions. And and I just want to make a note that there's a lot of perception that Australia is as a warm country, and it is, um, but the two cities and states we've lived in get very, very cold here mm. um, in both being Tasmania and the ACT. So I don't know what it is in Fahrenheit, but we can get to minus five degrees Celsius, so, which is quite harsh. Um,
0: and we probably like where we are now in Tasmania is probably one of the warmer areas in the whole state. So if you go sort of west towards where there's a lot of wilderness and national parks and Cradle Mountain and all of that, you know, it snows a lot of the winter months. And so it's interesting, like I remember us driving, I think it was just a few months ago and we were driving to Cradle Mountain and it was snowing there. On the way there, we saw sheep on a paddock that looked like had just been shorn. Mm. And I was just in shock, like thinking, and this isn't the first time I've seen it. I've also seen it in Canberra where I've heard on the radio that, you know, sheep were dying. They were just found dead on on a property after being Sean and it was minus temperatures overnight and it's just it's it's horrible you know to to fr- literally freeze to death so
1: and it gets worse so animal liberation reported 10 to 15 million newborn lambs die each year from um starvation neglect and response to cold weather conditions. So 10
0: to 15 million. Correct. 10 to just 15 million. in Australia.
1: Million. Uh, yes, correct. Newborn lambs. What? Yes. It's it's astronomical numbers. But
0: so it's kind of like the industry's probably like, oh well, that's just they factor in those numbers. It's a write off, yeah. You know, like but that's a life. Yeah. 10 to 15 million. Yeah. Wow.
1: So, but again, there's always two extremes in these examples, as you'll find. So, we've also but that's got... that's like, that's a realistic that's example. That's realistic, You know, yeah, it's yeah. not
0: like that's the worst of... Well, yeah, it is kind of, but yeah. Yeah,
1: it happens. Yeah, mm. it happens. Wow. Award-winning shearing company... Elkins alpaca shearing only shear their sheep once a year just before the warmer months. So they pride themselves on this annual shearing cycle, Mm. you know, and doing it at the right time. But
0: their fleece is probably more expensive as well. They probably
1: put up their product as a result of that. So you're absolutely right. Mm. But yeah, this goes to show that once you understand the... uh, the middlemen here, the the brokers, the the push for the industry, the push for for um twins, for triplets, the you know neglecting cooler conditions, like it it all adds up to you know revenues driving some level of cruelty here.
0: And let me add one more in there, <laughs> sure, because this is the other one that I found on the Little Oak Sanctuary page, which. I was just astounded. So we hear a lot of the time, you know, Australia prides itself on merino wool and that it's a really high quality wool. You know, when you're looking at a garment normally, it'll tell you if it's merino wool because it's kind of like that um, higher end wool. Here's another quote from the page that was also recently published. Merino breed of sheep, a breed who over time has been bred to have more and more loose skin. These excess folds create a larger surface area for wool production, making them more profitable to raise. It is rare that the traits humans breed animals to have are ever beneficial to the animals themselves, and this excess skin is no exception. The folds of skin provide moist areas where flies are attracted to lay their eggs. When the eggs hatch, the larvae, which maggots, begin to eat through the skin of the sheep, causing grave injury and even death. This is a huge welfare issue to the merino sheep and animals must be constantly monitored for fly strike year round, but especially in the wetter weather or when the days start to become warmer. The loose skin also makes shearing more difficult and nicks and cuts hard to avoid, especially with the speed at which most commercial farms shear their sheep, which is what we mentioned before. So it's interesting that they're actually finding multiple ways to make more money, Mm. that they are creating looser skin on an animal Mm. so that they have a larger surface area to be able to produce more wool. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. (laughs) That's just insane. It
1: is. And I think it, it sounds crazy, but then I suppose when you talk about millions of sheep in flocks that you're managing and you make this incremental tweak, it can mean significant increase in your supply. Yeah. You know, and they're going to such lengths to do that. But wow. Wow. But
0: that's like, there's no benefit to the animal to mm. have more skin. You know, it's just more discomfort, obviously potential death because, you know, of the moist little pockets that it creates and yep. and um, other creatures take advantage of that and why wouldn't you? You know, like if you're finding a nice warm spot to lay your eggs. Yeah, it's devastating and it's really important, you know, to note that animal sanctuaries like this one are spreading information useful information to educate the general public because you're not normally going to hear these types of stories from people that work at these farms or that that make money from it so it's normally you know individuals that either leave the industry or that are investigating it But you will hear the honest truth from an animal sanctuary. So I'm just so grateful that there are animal sanctuaries out there that support and share this type of information for us all to learn from it.
1: I couldn't agree more.
0: So as I mentioned fly strike, some people might be wondering, well, what is that? Do you want to explain a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, well, look, as you've already touched on, it's a, a fly strike is a condition where sheep are infected by one or several species of flies, which are external parasites of the sheep. So it normally happens when sheep pee on their coats and make it dirty. The flies are attracted uh, to that area where they peed, and then they lay their eggs uh, on the sheep's skin. Fly larvae then eat into the sheep, and sometimes kill them or at least cause them um, a pretty bad disease
0: right so how can it be like are they able to treat them and how quickly do they need to catch it before it's a bit late
1: yeah so regular shearing helps to keep the 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 coats down and to make sure that you know so there's not too much wool to you know pee on and make it dirty but then that brings up the issue of not having any they... wool in the middle of winter, for example. Yeah. Um, so that is one approach to deal with it. Another approach is to apply products like Cyrex or tea tree oil, which you can use as well as an alternative, which prevent and kill the larvae. And then... The third option is a an approach called mulesing, which involves removing the skin from the genital area to prevent the wool from growing there altogether. So, obviously, when they're pee, it's not like there's no wool, like, wool can't grow there to. Wow. Um, to so, it's
0: less risk.
1: Correct. Um, so, it comes down to, uh, again, two sides of the spectrum of how that's going to be treated. Generally, like so, it can be treated really well with something like tea tree oil, more preventative measure, or you could adopt, you know, either cutting down the wool in in freezing cold conditions all year round to ensure that you're preventing the flies from attacking or mulesing, which is you know literally taking off chunks of skin. So. It just depends. And um,
0: sometimes people think, well, I'd rather prevent it because then that's also pain to them later on. That's right. So, yeah.
1: Exactly. So many farmers opt to to go with mulesing, mulesing as it's cheaper and, and more effective. Mulesing can be done well, despite how nasty it sounds, but there are many examples where it can get very painful for the sheep.
0: And probably can get infected as well, I imagine. So as I mentioned, like at the beginning, when we were talking about all the different ways that people or farmers can profit from the sheep industry. You've got the meat, milk, and wool. What's the relationship between the meat and the wool industry?
1: When researching topics like this, I always try and put myself in the shoes of somebody who, who wants to run this type of business, who wants to get into this type of farming. So, uh, if I was starting a wool business, I would Google how to make money from sheep. Right, And what you'll find is that there are three main revenue streams, which you've already touched on, but more specifically in meat, lamb is going to be your most lucrative product, you know, being sheep, infant sheep under the age of 12 months old. Any older sheep that's used for meat is referred to as mutton, which is not as popular.
0: Sounds off-putting as well, doesn't it? Mutton. Do you want some mutton? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs>
1: um, But that that is something that can be sold, but it might be a bit harder to distribute. Uh, you've got wool, of course, which is what we're talking about today, and milk, uh, which is actually more of a specialty product to uh make cheeses like Pecorino and rec- 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 Recufort. <laughs> I can't say that. Recufort. You've cheese. Probably. Types. French.
0: I won't say butchered it. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: So those are the the three main methods of making money, and I think, you know, it's the whole thing of what's the byproduct, what comes first, what's the thing, and and you know, I always look at these things as a co-product, and we talked about this a couple of episodes back in the ethics of beekeeping. You know, when you look at honey and honey comb and pollination, it's it's a package deal. You know what I mean? It's a pie chart of different revenue streams, so they all work together. And it's in the best interest of the farmers to monetize as much of the sheep as possible. So that's how these products are all interlink together. Because so at each part of the life cycle of the sheep, there's money to be made.
0: So I imagine, like, you know, that's why they're probably trying to increase the births so that some of them can go over and be used as lambs, some of them can grow up to be used for wool. So, what like, happens to sheep? that are no longer productive with with wool or with milk.
1: <laughs> yes, hold that thought because I forgot to cover off on a few other things. But yes, we need to talk about what happens to sheep once they're no longer productive. But getting into the nitty-gritty of the revenue streams because I think this is important to isolate. So a farmer needs adult sheep to produce wool but the same adults are also used for breeding lambs. So there's a dual purpose, right? I know this is fundamental but and obvious but we need to call it out. So, breeding multiple lambs for every ewe is too much for the mother to handle, typically, often resulting in mastitis. Mastitis is a bacterial infection of the udder. Uh, it, in most cases, it occurs during the first weeks after lambing. So, it's it's basically when the lamb is sucking on the teeth and it's creating like a, a reaction in that area. Um, With lamb meat representing most of the profit in the flock, it's only natural for farmers to breed more lambs, exploiting the ewes through mastitis, right? So we already talked about pushing for triplets at this point and, you know, birthing six lambs at a time. But that's completely unnatural for the ewes. So can you imagine going from one lamb to two to now six trying to extract milk, you know, really further pushing along this infection? Causing a lot of discomfort to to the sheep. And the other thing is that farmers... Because as farmers are using the milk to produce cheese, they're also stealing milk for human consumption instead of supporting the lambs. So they're actually taking away that resource as well.
0: It's kind of like the the general milk industry exactly right it's something that we
1: frown upon in in general dairy industry and it's and it's happening the same with sheep and then another consideration is taking lambs away from their mothers creating separation anxiety again drawing parallels to the cow industry and the dairy industry in general so i just wanted to make sure that we touched on the specifics of the impact of those different revenue streams and how they work together
0: and so they feed the lamb like they give the lamb like probably like a formula yes rather than the natural milk from the mother yeah yeah cool
1: which i'm sure has properties to fatten up the lamb for yeah
0: i'm sure it does yeah Yeah. More, more flesh
1: so so going back to what happens with with adult sheep when they're no longer productive is, well, look, first of all, I spent a bit of time, I remember when writing this article, I spent a bit of time in, I found myself in, like, these forums with people, aspiring sheep owners and, and, and people who wanted to produce their own wool um, in sheds. And what I discovered is that there was a lot of back and forth conversation about the age of sheep and what you should do. So, the life expectancy of a sheep is around 10 to 12 years on average. So, fairly... Similar to a domestic dog, but when a ewe reaches about five years old, they start losing the front of their teeth from grazing all day. So, and at what, what age? About five. Okay. Right. So as they struggle to graze, it changes their biology, leading to diminished milk supply. Uh, which means lambs don't meet their market weight because there's not enough milk to produce for the lambs. Right. So the ewe at this point is no longer profitable. So commercial farmers will typically auction them off at stockyards to get money before they become basically utterly worthless. Sheep continue to be exploited for breeding, milk, and wool, but often in terrible conditions in these stockyards. And when there's truly no productivity left, sheep are sent off to slaughter for mutton, burgers, and pet food. So not only is their life cut in in more than half, but, you know, it it's kind of very exploitative
0: to the point of yeah
1: that's right um another option is exporting sheep overseas and now we're getting into live export so each year 1.7 million sheep are exported from australia to the middle east and north africa and in these live exports these sheep are living in incredibly high temperatures often more or less swimming in their own waste at some points, which is absolutely disgusting, and they're in commute weeks at a time. So these conditions are absolutely horrific. As these trade agreements exist to serve the Halal community in these regions, the sheep, once they arrive in the Halal way, are slaughtered, which is slitting the throat of the sheep without the use of stunning, as per the Halal standards. So even the way they're slaughtered at that point is, is, is pretty... Horrific. Again, this is one extreme. It's a it's a very real extreme that exists. But then, when you're again looking at how people approach their their sheep practice, you have some backyard farmers who will keep their their sheep all the way until ten to twelve years. And let them naturally die. And this is a much better alternative, of course, much more ethical alternative than sending sheep away at five years old. And at this point, they're more or less considered pets than just a commodity. So, I do want to call out both sides of of how that's approached.
0: Mm. And obviously, at that point, you know, like, they will continue to produce wool and have to be shorn. So it's not like they lose complete value in the farmer's eyes. Yeah, And yeah, because it's interesting because I didn't realize that I thought that like sheep that were used for wool only served that specific purpose. But obviously, if you can exploit the animal in multiple ways, you know, in their eyes, why not? Yes. So it's just, yeah, it's crazy the amount of exploitation that is brought on just for one animal. So now that we've kind of talked about all the horrific things that obviously happen to the sheep, is there any situation where the wool can be classified as vegan? And if so, where can we look for those options?
1: Well, I think for for wool to be considered vegan-friendly, it would need to meet two requirements. Number one.
0: Numero uno.
1: (laughs) Sheep need to be shorn carefully with the same care of a loving dog groomer. Number two. Sheep are kept purely as pets and all rescues where they aren't exploited for milk, for breeding lambs and for their meat. It's and
0: shorn when it's appropriate.
1: Yeah, and shorn when it's appropriate, right? So those are the two the, the, the main requirements I would consider wool to then be vegan friendly, which may or may not shock some people, right? Because we're just trying to be as practical and objective as possible here. I draw similarities to the human hair industry. Yes, there's such a thing. So some hair salons sell excess human hair to companies to produce wigs and some fashion garments as well. Fashion garments. Yeah. Actual fashion garments. So some made with a blend of human hair. So
0: that's interesting. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, We don't see this practice as exploitative. So why would it be any different for sheep? Okay, The issue is vegan-friendly wool is incredibly hard to find when it comes to trustworthy suppliers that meet those requirements.
0: Yes, yeah, so you'd pretty much have to go to an animal sanctuary and ask them if they have any leftover wool from yeah. when they did some shearing. That's probably the easiest way to do it. It's obviously... On sheet by sheet basis of you know they'll probably have different cycles of when they need to be shorn as well. So it's yeah, it would be a very tricky way to do it. But I would say if you wanted actual to turn wool into your own you know knitting material, then that's probably the best option.
1: Yeah, and then uh, I think even even on top of that, if a sanctuary was to. Uh, Hand over their leftover wool, then it starts to blur the ethical lines, perhaps in that situation as well. Because, okay, if, if the wool's donated, that's one thing. But if the wool's sold, then, you know, there's the natural human incentive to mm. add that as a revenue stream, particularly if if you're doing a selfless act like a sanctuary where you need all the funds you can to support your you animals. Know what,
0: you know what would be a really smart way of doing it is that a lot of lambs actually need in the cool if they're born in the cooler months they need a little jumper you oh. know you see a lot of lambs with jumpers yeah. so i would be giving it to people to sew so a little woolen, them yeah yeah so i think that would be probably the best way to use up the wool um, let
1: give it back to give it back to them yeah yeah i like that mm. cool Maybe it's already been done, but, but it, sounds, probably, it, it yeah. sounds like innovation, <laughs> though, Marsha. So, well done. It sounds, it sounds amazing. So, the the traceability of these fabrics have a long way to go. Obviously, it's going to be hard to quantify that. But, you know, I, I can't see there being... Do you see there being an issue if wool in that context was being used? Like, if it, if it met those requirements of, of carefully shorn sheep within appropriate seasons... And, and, and the sheep are kept as pets or, you know what I mean? Like, mm. do you see there being any ethical issue with that?
0: No, as long as it's not done for the profit, if it's done from a place of excess. And as I mentioned, like, you would first want to be look, making sure that you look after the animals. And it's, I'm sure that there is other animals that can benefit from a little woolen knit compared to humans where they have much more options. So but if you're going to like a local market and there's a lady that has her own rescued sheep for instance and you know she's them once a year like they should be since they've been domesticated or if you have that 2% of sheep out there that are still wild and you know you come across some fleece that's naturally been shed and she's making these all key they're making nice jumpers out of them then I wouldn't see an issue with that but at the same time I probably still wouldn't purchase it. I would rather encourage people that would normally buy wool to buy that as an alternative.
1: Yeah absolutely you know yeah this this word excess is interesting because we've we've talked about it before mm. when and it comes up all the time in these conversations like oh well, if we're taking cows' milk and they have excess left over, over why can't we just take that? Or honey, right? If bees or eggs, are, or eggs like yeah. chickens are producing excess amount of eggs, can I have that? Or excess amount of honey, and mm. I get it from the local market or my neighbour or whatever it is. I, so I, I can understand how great this area is. I suppose okay. If I was to compare it to to bees and honey, for example, you know. Honey is literally collecting this resource for their future. <laughs> it's an investment in their future. It's, it's future food in their pantry, right? Wilds with wool,
0: their pantry.
1: <laughs> it is, yeah. In the it, but for wool, it like I need to cut my hair. I don't need to. I choose to cut my hair mm. on a, a on a regular basis. A lot of people choose to cut their hair. A lot of domestic dogs need to get groomed and sheep also being domesticated need to be groomed as well. So it's I feel like it's yes, I can understand that there might be some inconsistencies in what we're saying, but I do feel that like if sheep need to be shorn for their well-being and if we had to use wool um, that could be a potential resource that could, could be cruelty free so i just wanted to make that point because i know i can get a very very dicey there mm. when we use the term excess you know
0: and i mean for me personally like i feel comfortable wearing wool if it's You know, like if it's a hand-me-down from someone in my family or a friend that no longer wants it, I've received a couple of jumpers that the person was going to get rid of and I've taken them instead. So that's where I'm actually comfortable with wearing wool because it's already been produced and I'd rather it stop going to landfill or, you know, sold on. In many cases, (laughs) the garments that I take aren't really... (laughs) sellable anyways but yeah i think that's that's where i kind of feel comfortable wearing wool as well
1: yeah but which is and you know and we've talked about this before on, on our show and it's like you know i i don't i personally don't feel comfortable but i don't see anything wrong with Marsh, marsh's approach I, I just think it just comes down to at that point to individual decision i think you know, for me, I'm also mindful, I, I, just for myself of what that represents, what it represents, yeah. and subconsciously, signaling to others that it's mm-hmm. it's okay to support that. Um, but it exists. Like, there's leather in my car. Like, there's you know, there's there's things that you you it's it's hard to get away from. But you know that that's a choice that you'll need to make. But I just wanted to to also say that like because we've spent thousands of years. Playing God and manipulating the DNA of sheep to produce wool. And I don't know, I just think if we keep buying wool and supporting the industry, we're only further signaling to the market to increase the frequency, to increase the volume, which leads to. Keep to manipulating to and, keep manipulating. Yeah. To keep manipulating, to keep innovating and, you know, having faster, harder. Uh, Targets of five hundred sheep. Try and shear five hundred sheep. Stuff four hundred. Let's get to five hundred in one day, and causing more harm to these animals. So I think we need to keep that front in mind with with how the marketplace all works. Um, and and I think at the end of the day, if it's such murky waters in terms of the impact, the ethics, the the cruelty, you know, like wouldn't it be easier to just not support wool? industry Mm. um sure there are ways to do that in an ethical way in a sustainable way if you really need it but i find in these situations it's just easier to not participate so
0: yeah very good point so what are actually the alternatives to wool
1: so uh, since becoming we're we're coming up on our seven year uh, vegan anniversary and um i've i've personally found it really easy to live without wool now i'm not we don't live in Iceland, so and it, and it, but it does get cold where we live, but not to those extreme conditions. So there's no denying that wool is, is a great fabric for keeping you warm. But the most common vegan alternative is, is cotton. We prefer organic cotton. It's not perfect as it requires a lot of water and resources to produce it, but it is the most practical alternative that we've found, generally speaking. Okay. So, you know, when it comes to a knit for example, which is normally woolen knit or fleece knit, you will find a you can. And a lot of sustainable brands will produce organic cotton knits as an alternative, and they perform pretty well. And as Marsha mentioned, that another option is to buy a woolen garments secondhand if you really want a alternative. But if you are looking for specifically fashion or clothing that ticks those ethical boxes we've put together a pretty extensive roundup that we've had for many years and we update all the time a few times a year with with ethical and sustainable clothing brands so you've got an abundance of options and different price ranges if you're interested in that you can check it out and we'll be sure to link to it in the show notes as well theminimalsvegan.com slash zero six six
0: and there's (laughs) If you hear a snoring dog in the background, I have our dog laying in my lap fast asleep. Um snoring like an old man. <laughs> It's super cute. There is another thing that I just recently saw that's called bamboo yarn. So for those of you that enjoy knitting you can purchase bamboo yarn online. That's I think a blend of bamboo and cotton as well to kind of get it to that same sort of thickness because I know that cotton on its own can be quite thin. Um, so that's another alternative as well but you know it goes without saying you can get a lot of polyester alternatives, but that's not a very sustainable Mm -hmm. practice. So that's why we kind of didn't really mention it, but cotton tends to be the next one in line. And it's not perfect, but there's a lot of innovation happening in the textiles industry. So, I'm sure that there's plenty of different ones that you can come across in the brands' post that Michael just mentioned, where they might be using hemp, they might be using new technologies as well. yeah, so, yeah,
1: and some and and you know, I know brands that uh, we had on a list in the past have also they, they've been a bit clearer about the traceability of wool, so they'll they'll say things like uh, musling free wool or recycled wool like this type of terminology Mm. which could which could help but again these are pretty niche brands that you need to go find typically online um that really dialed into that supply chain that you can have a bit more trust with so, yeah, yeah, look out Look out for those signs as well.
0: Yeah. And again, you know, like because sometimes you also have to be mindful if it says a recycled wool, that can be a little bit of a grey area in itself. So, you want to make sure that, yes, even though it's recycled, you're not still indirectly supporting the industry. So, just keep that in mind when you do your own research and when you look at certain. I think one of the things that I found a bit, like I've bought your wallet before where Mm. it was sustainable leather or it had some sort of wording that for me triggered automatically to think, oh, it's vegan. Mm. And then I realised once it came that it was actually actual leather. Mm. And so just be mindful with certain brands positioning things in a way that it makes it seem like it's a better alternative, yet they might still not be quite there with, you know, the wording might be catchy, but it might not be all the way cruelty-free. Mm. So,
1: Good point. Yeah. Very good point.
0: All right. I think we've talked for long enough, especially yes. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up?
1: No, that's it. I, I just think it's fascinating because of just how unclear this stuff can be at times, you mm. know, and... And I think it's just great for us to, to all ch- challenge each other and ourselves to to dig deep and ask these questions and, and do the best that we can because at the other end of the supply chain, there are animals being impacted here, you know, yeah. uh, and, and we don't want to lose sight of that.
0: Mm. Nice. Cool. All right. Well, you can... Get the full show notes with everything that we've talked about, a link to the Animal Sanctuary also that I referred to a couple of times in this post over on our website, theminimalistvegan.com forward slash 066 and reminder again about the giveaway that we're doing so take a screenshot before you submit the review and email it through to us at info at for your chance to win a copy of our book so thank you again for tuning in and we'll speak to you again soon thanks guys thank you bye
1: bye